To get into the new message we're doing today, have you ever noticed that as people of faith, as Christians, as church people, we have this crazy thing we do, maybe for you it's just a little objectionable, that we turn to God when bad things happen, believing he could have kept them from happening in the first place? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we turn to God even though we really kind of believe that God could have kept it from happening in the very first place. It's kind of crazy behavior. Now, I saw this last Sunday with a gentleman that attends our church, serves at his church. His name is Mike. You see, Mike's wife, Amy, has been very sick with cancer for several, several months. And a couple weeks ago, she passed away, which is a tragedy for their family. Mike and Amy had been married for you know, over 30 years, been together for a really long time. And I thought, man, my heart breaks for him. And last Sunday was her funeral at one o'clock. I got to be a part of the funeral. Um, It was going to be at the bowling alley, which was kind of an honor and a new thing for me. Um, But Sunday morning before the funeral, Mike was here at church. And he wasn't only at church, he was in the parking lot, parking cars, because that's how he volunteers. And I thought to myself, literally, what in the world is Mike doing here this morning? with his wife's funeral at one o'clock. And I talked to him about it just a little bit later and he said, listen, I was hurting and I didn't know where else to go. And I didn't know where else I should be except at church. And I thought that's so true with people that love him and leaning into a God that cares about him, even though there's things that don't make sense. Now for Mike and for me and for you, it may be encouraging for us to know that the men and women that brought us the New Testament, brought us the gospel, They suffered and had random acts of violence and suffering and pain in their life all the time. In fact, you may not know this. In the early church, after Jesus was resurrected and went back to be with his heavenly father, the church, the nation of Israel, and really the Roman Empire faced an incredible famine. And the tough thing 2,000 years ago was there was never an overabundance of food which meant people were always hungry. But when there was a famine, people starved very quickly. Was well, churches began to spring up all over the Mediterranean rim, a church in a place called Antioch gathered and they believed in Jesus and what Jesus had done. And they were started because the people way down here in a place called Jerusalem had launched missionaries to go and start these churches. Well, the church in Antioch found out that people in Jerusalem were starving. And this was about a 300-mile journey. But you got to think about this. 2,000 years ago, when the only real mode of transportation was walking or riding on the back of a donkey, this was like halfway around the world to them. Well, this church decided, we got to help our friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. And so they started to collect money. They started to collect food and sending this down to them. And this was something that was brand new. The world had never seen this kind of compassion and love in their life. And I'm sure people watch this happen and they ask the question maybe you would ask is, where did this strange behavior come from? Where did this strange behavior of I'm going to help people in need, even when we're struggling and suffering and starving ourselves, Well, it came from this idea that Jesus brought that God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his son. He gave of everything he had to save our world. So the church in Antioch did that. We're going to talk more about that next Sunday. But the people in Jerusalem, they weren't just starving. They had already been suffering from some terrible acts of violence and pain and suffering. And a gentleman named Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, tells us about this. He writes that it was about this time, 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus, the church has been launched, but now they're under persecution. 
It was about this time that King Herod arrested some of those who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. Now it's fascinating because this King Herod was the grandson of Herod the Great. And you may remember Herod the Great, that when Jesus was born, he was searching for Jesus, so he had all the little baby boys slaughtered in the area of Bethlehem. He, he was a murderer, and murder apparently ran in their family because this is what Luke tells us, that he, King Herod, had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Now, this is not James, the brother of Jesus. This is John's brother. But he was killed by King Herod. And this was a huge moral blow to the morale blow to the early church. And Herod would win political points with his nation because of this. This is what we're told. When he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. See, Peter was the number one guy in the early church. He was the lead pastor. He was the point leader. And Herod knew this. If you know, killing James met with approval, then getting their number one leader out of the way would mean the taxpayers, the Jewish taxpayers would be really excited about this. And this whole thing happened during Passover, which there was their you know, number one main holiday. After arresting him, he put him in prison, talking about Peter, handing him over to be guarded by four squads and four soldiers each. In other words, Peter would be surrounded by soldiers all the time to watch over him. That is how important it was for Peter to be taken out of commission by this Roman king. So Peter, we're told, was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now this is interesting, because this is where your faith and my faith and the faith of the early Christians that intersects. They have a friend that's in trouble. They have a friend that's in need and they are praying that God would do something and get this mess straightened out. And this is what's going on. The Jesus followers at the time are asking God to deliver Peter days after God did not deliver James. James who was one of their own. James who was close to Jesus. James who meant everything to him had lost his life but they still in this moment of pain and they're not sure what to do. They turn and say, God, you got to help Peter. We're not sure why you allowed him to be arrested in the first place, but we're asking you to help him. And it's kind of a crazy behavior. It's kind of a weird behavior. But their faith was not misplaced. Their faith was not discounted. It's because those who experienced Jesus, even though they were not immune to pain and suffering, they based their hope in God and in Jesus, not in their circumstances, and not whether things were going well or not going well. They based it on something such more, so much more stable. And if you've ever done that, you need to know this, you're in good company. If you've ever asked God, God, why is all this happening? Why am I having to go through pain? Why, why, why? You're in company because they felt the same way. But they also found hope going through this. People like Peter and James and John and <clears throat> excuse me, Mary and Martha. They felt this way. But their foundation for what they believed and what they put their hope on was so much stronger than this. Now, spoiler alert, Peter did not die at this time in prison. He went on to be an older man and he had some amazing letters. But as he wrote and he reflected back on his life, he had faced terrible persecution and tribulation in his own life. But look what Peter writes as a little bit older man. He, he writes this to some Jesus followers. He says, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, the context for this is he writes this in the, in the middle of a life where he'd been arrested and flogged. He'd watched James die. He watched his buddy Stephen be stoned to death. They're gone. They're wiped off this planet. 
And if you were reading this for the first time and knew Peter, you'd be like, Peter, what in the world are you talking about? How could you praise and be joyful about anything? And Peter would smile and say, I'm glad you asked. This is why, because in great mercy, he has given us new birth, a new life into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Listen, I'll tell you, not all my prayers got answered the way I wanted them to get answered. Not everything was easy for me. In fact, things were incredibly hard, and there were days my heart was broken, and I did not understand what was God was up to. But I had hope, and my hope was not in the theology. It was not just in a belief system. My hope was in an event, and the event was this, that Jesus died And three days later, he rose from the dead, and that proved that he was who he said he was. And so any time Peter got discouraged, like, I'm not sure what's happening or why it's happening, his faith would be rekindled by the resurrection of his friend and Savior, Jesus. And he built his life on that in the good times and the bad. He goes on. He says, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, we'll come back to that, You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. A little while. And we don't know if he means like a little while, like you've had to suffer pain for a month, or you may have to suffer pain for the next 30 years, but a little while compared to eternity, which goes on forever, and with Jesus is full of love and joy and peace and hope of all kinds. No more pain, no more suffering, no more cancer, no more funerals for your wife. In light of an eternity of that, Everything in this world is just a little while. And if you would hang on to what God has done for you, even when trials happen, you can have hope. And he's talking to a group of people that face those things, but he could have added to this little sentence, like I have, because Peter faced incredible suffering. And this is what I think he believed. Suffering is not evidence that God is missing. Suffering is not evidence that God has forgotten. And this day and age that you know, we're in, suffering is not either the fact that the tribulation is just around the corner. Because we're all kind of on that right now. You see that everywhere. The tribulation's happening. The tribulation is happening. And if you don't know what that means, you don't need to worry about it. But Peter would just simply say, no, suffering's been around since this whole movement started. But we have hope. He goes on. These, he says, have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, look at this, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That God is doing something in you and God is doing something in me because of what we're having to go through in this day and age. And maybe for you, you know, you showed up and you're like, listen, I'm not sure I believe that. I don't understand all that, but I'm paying attention right now because I need some hope in the middle of a tough world that we're living in. So for all of us, if you were to sit down with Peter and say, hey, Peter, should we accept, expect tough things and maybe suffering and pain? I think he would go, yeah, you probably should expect that. Doesn't mean you have to enjoy it or like it, but you should expect it. And he would say, if you have faith in Jesus, don't forget, people are watching. 
people that are desperate for hope right now, people that are paying attention to you because you say you have faith, and they're trying to figure out, is their faith something that can stand the test of time? And do not forget, in the middle of tough things, the darker it gets, the brighter your hope shines. I mean, think about this. You have hope in the middle of good circumstances, and, and, and your faith shines. Your light shines for Jesus a little bit. But when things are dark and they're hard, it's where you can shine like never before. I mean, when everyone else has lost hope and given up and think that's not even worth going on, you can be a light in the middle of that, and I can be a light in the middle of that, even when it's not easy. I think Peter might say this, let your light shine in such a way that people see your response and they look up. Let your light shine so people will see you and don't give you any credit or any glory, but they're like, okay, they have something that I want and I'm gonna look up and figure out where it's coming from. It's an incredible thing. Peter goes on in this precious little letter and he says, though you have not seen him, this is where he intersects with people like you and I because he's talking to them, they've not ever seen Jesus. They've not physically been around him just like you and just like me. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe, that's for some of us, in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For, he says, you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So again, you might ask Peter, Peter, does this random act of violence and random suffering and hard times throw you off? And he would just say, it's hard, I know. But no, it doesn't throw me off. Because my faith does not depend on my life being easy or things going the right way. My faith is dependent on a person who died on a cross and I watched it. And when he was dead and buried, he rose from the dead and everything changed. And here's why I'm so convinced, I think Peter would say. I saw the best person, the best person that ever lived, the kindest, most loving, most right person that ever walked the face of the earth die the worst kind of death. A death that no man should have to face. And he endured it, and he endured it for me, and he endured it for you, for the forgiveness of the world. And it was not fair, but it happened anyway. Which always brings me to this thought when I'm like, hey, this isn't fair. It's not fair. The truth is I really don't want what's fair in my life. Because if I want what's fair and I get what's coming to me, I'm going to get a whole lot of punishment for a whole lot of things that I've personally done wrong. So the truth is, it not being fair has benefited me. Because it wasn't fair that Jesus died on the cross and had to suffer for me. And it's not fair that I get his love and grace for all that I've done wrong and all the sin in my life. And it's a pretty good loving deal for my heavenly father in this world. And you see, in light of that, in light of it's all about Jesus and the resurrection, I think Peter would say the rest. The rest is just details. I mean, it's hard, and the pandemic, and all the mess, but the rest is just details because we have a resurrected Savior who loves us. It's, it's amazing. Now, back to the story. Um, remember, James has been executed by Herod, and Peter's in jail, and there's believers that are praying for Peter to be rescued. Now look where Luke takes us in the rest of Peter's story, this whole ordeal. He says, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. I mean, they've got him locked down. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and he woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off 
Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. And wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And the angel told him, and Peter followed him out of the prison. He had no idea what the angel was doing and he re- what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. In other words, he thought it was a dream. He's not sure if it's real. It goes on, they passed the first and the second guards and they came to the iron gate leading to the city and it opened for them by itself. It's an incredible story. And they went through it and when they had walked the length of the street, suddenly the angel had left them. Now, I just want to address this. For some of you, you hear that story of an angel showing up and getting Peter out of jail, busting Peter out of jail. And you're like, really? And I get that. It's a a strong story. For some of you, your reaction might be, why doesn't God do that for me? For Peter, he might have said, hey, thanks, angel. That's great. But what about my friend James? How come he didn't help him? And why did I have to be there in the first place? Couldn't you have just done something in the first place? And for many of us, there's just no satisfying answers. But there's something bigger at work here. Peter realizes this is not a dream. And he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, and also called Mark, where many people had gathered, and they were praying for him. Peter knocked at the door in the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. I love that name, Rhoda. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Now remember, everybody else is inside the house and they're praying for his release. But apparently they didn't really expect God to respond. Now the next part we're about to read is something that I can't believe is even in the text. And you wouldn't put it in there if it wasn't true because if you're making this story up, you would not write in characters that had such little faith. It's unbelievable. Remember, Rhoda's like, Peter's here, Peter's here. And look at their response. Woman, are you out of your mind? What are you talking about? He can't be here. Not to mention they were just praying for that just a second ago. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. In other words, he's not free. God didn't free him. He's just dead, and maybe that's what's going on. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished because they were looking at an actual bona fide miracle. So of course they're high-fiving and they're celebrating and they're making all kinds of noise because their friend was free. And Peter motioned like, hey, with his hand for them to be quiet. And he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, now this isn't the James that was died. This is James, Jesus' brother James, and the other brothers and sisters about this. And he said, and then he left for another place. Now it's interesting because Luke does not tell us where Peter went, either because he didn't know or Peter was in so much danger that he had to go into deep hiding and Luke wouldn't even write it down for fear that Peter would be caught and killed immediately. So now Peter's escaped by the hand of God of all things. This is what Luke tells us. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find them, he cross-examined the guards and he ordered their execution. That's how he handled it. Herod's humiliated. He just kills everybody. This is how we do it. In Herod, the king's humiliation, he leaves town and he goes to his beach house on the Mediterranean Sea. And he hangs out there until a nearby city asks to have an audience with Herod because they're starving and they need him to provide food because he has resources. This is what Luke tells us. There's so much incredible detail. 
On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne, and he delivered a public address to the people. Now, this is what people think. They think that Herod had this royal robe that was lined with silver. And when the midday sun came up, it showed on his robe that was full of silver, and it glowed, and it shined. And this is what they said. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not a man. Remember the silver shining, and that's their only response. What happens next is really overwhelming. We're told immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms, and he died. Now again, you may say this is unbelievable. What's fascinating about this is God's hand was in this with Herod, but Josephus an extra-biblical writer who was not a Christian, who did not write anything in the New Testament, but was a Jewish historian. He wrote about this exact moment. And this is what he said. He said, Herod, Herod was seized by a severe pain in his bowels. I mean, it's kind of an embarrassing way to go, right? So apparently they rushed him off the stage with the audience he was on. They took him back to his bedroom where he died a couple of days later. I mean, he died and he must have thought, Man, those Christians are really pain in my backside. Now, that's a bad joke. I shouldn't even have said that. But when Peter heard that Herod was dead, I'm sure he was relieved. I'm sure he's like, whew, I'm glad he's not chasing me down anymore. But still that lingering thought. But God, what about James? Why did he have to die? And why did I have to be jailed? And those were questions that Peter had in the midst of his incredible faith. But look what Luke says in the midst of the trials. He wraps it up. He says, but the word of God continued to spread and it flourished. And we know this is true because we have this text in our possession today. We know this is true because many of you, you believe and you put your trust in Jesus because the message that they brought, the world has been changed. And as we think about the word of God going forward and the gospel story going forward, it is really the reason why as a church, in the last month, we decided to lean into this idea of the four Van Wert County. And I'm not switching gears in this message. This is really part of the gospel story. You see, we believe that through what Jesus has done, we have been given hope and life and a reason to go on. But we're not sure everybody in our community has that same hope. And as church people, as Christians, as followers of Jesus... We wanted to make sure we're passing that along in the best way we can. So if you've been around our church, you know we did the crazy food drive and tried to fill up the pantries of the food places in town so people could have food right now because it's a huge need. You know that we sent those Christmas boxes all over the world so little kids could know that God loves them and there's church people that care about them. But we got this really cool thing ahead of us over the next week or so. We call it the Christmas giving trees. And the Christmas giving trees are simply this. About 100 families are represented on trees we have out in our lobby. Now, it's a little bit of a challenge because we're not meeting physically. But there is 100 families that need to have something provided for them at Christmas because the needs in Van Wert County are bigger than they ever have. In fact, I was talking to one of our volunteers who was inputting the names of the cards on, from families into our database. And she said, I just sat there with tears in my eyes. His parents were asking for socks and underwear for their children, because that was their biggest need. And I went, there it is. There is a way that people have, that have hope in our community can shine by saying, we're going to make sure some families that do not have that kind of hope can know that we're here for them, that we love them. And even if they don't believe what we believe, we want them to know that 
We believe that God gave, and so we should give. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider being a part of this over the next two weeks. We've got to take care of 100 families, and we're going to need everybody in our church to be a part of that so we can pass on hope. So what you can do is you can simply go to fourlifehousepeople.com. It's this website that's part of our website, and you can sign up to take on a family and provide for their Christmas needs. Or you can stop by here during our office hours this week, 9 to 5, and pick up a card, and you can fulfill those needs, and you can just bless somebody else. And you can be part of showing hope world that desperately needs it. So I want to make sure you're thinking about that. I want everybody that calls Lifehouse their home over the next couple of weeks to do something for somebody to pass on hope. The Apostle Paul, who wrote about all these same things, he said this in a little book called Thessalonians. He says, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. It breaks my heart to think some people don't have hope. For we believe that Jesus Christ died and he rose again. Look what Peter said. He wrote this as an old man after everything he experienced. He said, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Peter, didn't you lose your friends? Peter, weren't you in jail and flogged? And didn't you eventually die yourself because of what you believed? Yeah, but I also believe I could cast all my cares that I have. And you have cares. I'm the one that cares for me. And I want you to do that today. Maybe for you, it's just going, God, here's all my stuff. Here's what I'm afraid of. Here's my fears, but I'm casting it on you. But then the action step is to go, I want to bless someone else with that same kind of hope and love in our community and in our county. I want that for you. I want that for me. I want that for our faith. And I want us to be able to trust in a God when the circumstances are good and the circumstances are not so good that has given us eternal life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for Peter's story that we can watch him navigate through tough, difficult times and hang on to you. I pray for everybody that just feels like they're overwhelmed with tough, difficult times right now that they could see you in the most clear, better light that's possible. And Lord, as we read this story, we return to it this week, Lord, that we could just know that you're in the midst of every tough situation. But also, Lord, help us to shine. Help us have a deep desire to do for others. And I pray as we take care of these hundred families that just don't have a Christmas provided for them, it would be one little part of sending the gospel message forward. Thanks for your immense love, forgiveness, and eternal life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.